This is all very exciting. What a great start. All right, anyways, it's good to be with you again. Um, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. It's the one part, I was thinking about that this week, like listening is the one part of the service each week where our experiences diverge, like yours and mine. And you, like you rarely get much attention for the work that you do in this, in this time. You, get rarely, you rarely get much attention for your generosity and your effort in this moment. But it matters. It really does matter. And it actually leads to a question that I have for you this morning, not to put you on the spot, but also exactly to put you on the spot. Because the truth is that you know more about this than I do. When you are listening, what are you actually doing? How do you do it well? What is listening, really? And there are certainly some things that I have to talk about because you know me, I've got stuff to talk about. And that's coming up in a bit. But before we get to the stuff that I have to say, I actually want to ask that question again sincerely. What is listening? And I want to ask it in a way where I'm actually encouraging you to tell me what you think. Like, what is it? How do you do it well? There are at least three people in this room that were once my, once my students and say no, but I will wait you out. What goes in? Think of the song we just sang about him seeing us, like eye contact, yeah. just being presence, looking somebody in the eye, seeing them, um, and being seen. Yeah. How do you do it well? In addition to that, so being attentive, right? Like being present with someone. How else do you listen well? Get to Get to Walk out the noise. Want their message. What's that, Roy? Want their message. Want their message. Mm-hmm. Not trying to problem solve. Mm-hmm. What does that mean, Dante? If I can put you on a follow-up spot. You would. Um, (laughs) There's a tendency when you're hearing someone talk to try to solve their problem, particularly in your head, instead of really paying attention to what they're saying, what they're feeling. Sometimes we need to not worry about trying to solve a particular problem. We just need to sit there and let them talk. Seeking to understand the experience of another. Participating in the moment, not anticipating what's coming up. You guys are better at this than, <laughs> than I am. Thank you for sharing. I'm, this was like, I was just telling Claire, I was like, this was a gamble for me. I was like, I just like let that hang for a minute? And what happens? Like, what if people don't have anything to say? But the truth is, you have like really good things to say. This is the question, like this question about listening. It's also the question I have to talk to, for us to talk about. And I hope, I hope that like these notes that I've got prepared can help you build on what you already know. Does, and this is like how I would reframe that question for us. Does listening to God work in the same way? Does listening to God work in the same way that listening to people works? And I think in short, the answer is both yes and no. Yes. Listening to God requires many of the 
of the same skills that you just talked about. And I think we could sum some of those skills up under these categories of like openness, an openness to what the person has to say, not rushing ahead, and also an expectation, like kind of what Roy said, that like the person's going to say something that's worth hearing a little bit. And I do think like those two kind of umbrella categories work for humans and they work for God. And I think that the reason they work for God is because our access to point, our access point to God is through the person of Jesus. And the, the whole reason that Jesus was incarnated, the reason that he was here on this earth, right, as an actual physical person was to be God with and like us. To be God with and like us. And so I think it makes sense that we can know him in many of the same ways that we would know one another. We can build a relationship with him that is like the relationships that we have with each other. And so it makes sense for those skills, right, of openness and expectation to translate from the ways that we are friends with people and the ways that we're friends with him. But, but, right, the answer is also no. It's not the same because God is at one and the same time, like, not like us. It's not that he's altogether different. It's really that he's altogether more. We are reflections. We're like derivations of him. And so there's something more about how his voice works than ours. There's something more about the ways that we listen and the ways that we can hear it. So, so that's kind of our topic for this morning. What, it's what we want to talk through today. What is the more? What is the more when it comes to how we listen to God? So if we take those two categories, openness and expectation, I want to talk about openness for a minute first. To be truly open to hearing God, we have to be willing to hear what God is saying, whether it's comfortable or not. This is a little bit of what Dante said, right? Like listening, listening. I think that that, like Dante said, is also true in our human relationships. Listening means believing deeply that my friend, my spouse, my kids, my coworkers know things that I don't know, including and upsettingly things about me that I don't know. And that can be scary, right, to open yourself up to them. But at the same time, listening well to them, listening openly, takes more than like just a little humility. It also takes a fair amount of courage because I have to accept, I have to accept something I don't want to accept, which is that I'm unfinished, right? That I'm incomplete. And then I have to earnestly seek other people's perspectives and that's uncomfortable work to do. But what is the more, right? What is the more about how we listen, those tips for listening to people when it comes to God? And to get to that, I, I want us to revisit what I think is actually one of the best biblical stories about that question of the more. And it's God's first appearance to, to the last judge of Israel, Samuel. We read about Samuel last year here at Revolution, so this may be a bit of a retread. But I think, I think it connects in an important way. So in this story that we're going to look at today, Samuel's just a boy. And he's living at the temple under the priest Eli. And the Bible says, and it's in your program there if you want to, I think this part's in there, but some of it's in there. Um, the Bible says this in, in chapter 3 of 1 Samuel. It says, In those days the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. And one night Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. 
And the lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. And then the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. And then this pattern in chapter 3, this pattern repeats itself three more times. And after the, what becomes the fourth time, Eli realizes that it's actually God who's calling Samuel. And that's like why there's this confusion. And so Eli tells Samuel to go back, to lie down again and listen. And this time, if he hears God's voice again, to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel does. He goes, he lies down, presumably falls asleep, hears the voice again, he says that. And then, I think this is actually the part that's in your program. Maybe, still not. I don't know. This is the problem with those screens, right? They're coming. We'll get back to that one day. Anyways, verses 11 through 14, if you're following on phone or some other method. Anyways, so Samuel, he says, speak, Lord. And then it says, and the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. God gave Samuel a boy some terrible news, some terrible news to deliver. He tells this young boy that his mentor, that his surrogate father there in the temple, Eli, is going to suffer kind of eternal disgrace. And so at this point, at this point, you might be thinking that the listener of note, the character we're paying attention to in the story, is Samuel. But I don't think so. After all, and this is notable here, like Samuel doesn't seem to have a lot of choice here about whether he hears God. God wakes him up, right? This isn't a question for him. It's not straining. God interrupts his sleep. Instead, what I want us to do in these next verses is focus on Elah. And here's what happens. Samuel lay down until morning. He doesn't do what God says. He lays down until morning. And then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And he was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. And Samuel answered, here I am. And Eli says, what was it he said to you? Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. And then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. What does Eli do in the story? He faces the music. He has this chance to avoid God's word to him. But he chooses instead to listen. And he chooses, I think, to listen with openness. Even though that openness is going to cost him everything. If we want to make a similar choice, right, we have to have a similar level of vulnerability. That's the more. 
That's the more. Being willing to subject our whole selves to God's perfect and frankly terrifying knowledge of us. Which means we have to be willing to get bad news. Now, we do this with each other, right? In healthy relationships, we do this with each other. But I would argue we always do it with a little bit of a limit. With this little bit of an escape clause. Because we know that deep down, deep, deep down, we can always keep secrets. And we can hold some small part of ourselves back. But I think that we often avoid God's voice because we're afraid of what he sees. But I think there's good news if we take heart here from Eli's example. What does Eli say in the end? And this is where I want us to to focus here. He says in the end, he is the Lord, let him do what is good in his eyes. He is the Lord, let him do what is good in his eyes. Now I know it's tempting to read that with sadness and resignation. Like, I mean, what choice does he have but to say something like that? But I think when we read what he says with that kind of resignation of like, well, I mean, he's God. I guess he'll do what he's going to do. I think when we read it that way, we're actually adding a kind of modern sensibility and understanding to an ancient text. I don't know that that's what it says. Instead, I would like for us to take the words for what they do say. And they say this, that Eli receives awful news about himself. He receives awful news about his sons, news that means that the worst thing you're afraid of actually happened. God does see those things that he had hoped to keep secret. It's devastating what he's just heard. But then Eli remembers not only, not only that God is God, which is inescapable, what he remembers is that God is good. More than that, more than that, he remembers that God is where our own sense of goodness comes from. Let him do what is good in his eyes. Not let him do what is good. Not, I'm sorry, I messed that up right. That didn't make any sense. I was really delivering that well, I felt too. (laughs) Anyways, he says let him do what is good in his eyes, not let him do what he wants. Which would be the other version, right? Eli's like, he's God, he'll do what he does. Let him do what he wants. He doesn't say, let him do what he has to do for the sake of justice. He says, let him do what is good. It might not feel like it to Eli in that moment, but what God will do is actually best, is actually what is most loving to do. And not only for Israel, but also for Eli. I think that, that actually, that example is a radical level of openness. And it reveals, above all else, it reveals Eli's trust in God's character. Now, here's what I want to say to us about this as we start out on our journey of discipleship for this year. None of us can get all at once, can get there all at once, right? And also none of us can get there on our own. Listening to God is about learning that level of openness, one act of trust at a time. The reason that here at Revolution we don't like list out our sins from the pulpit every Sunday isn't because we don't care about our mistakes when we make them. It's because not everybody in this room is ready to hear the same thing, to feel the same conviction at the same time. 
For somebody in this room right now, the dominant sin in your life might be lust, right? For someone else, it's arrogance. For you, the issue might be dishonesty. You've dug yourself this hole where nobody really believes you anymore. And you don't really believe yourself. But although confessing every lie that you've ever told all at once, you know, we had a big altar call and you all came down and just like, blot, like threw it all up, all the things that you've ever done wrong, all that, that might feel good for a moment. Climbing out of that hole that you're in is actually going to require an ongoing process of coming clean and rebuilding relationships. There's no quick fix for it. So what you need, what you need isn't just the release of getting it all out. And what you need isn't to hate yourself more. What you need is a steady presence beside you, leading you to be more truthful, challenging you to own your mistakes even when it's hard, and critically helping you believe that even in the midst of that work, you are still worthy of love. And the simple point of church, the simple point of church, is to convince you that Jesus is that person. If you let your guard down with him, you will have to face some hard things. But he will lead you step by step where it is that you need to go. And this is true for the liars in this room. It's true for the cheaters in this room. It's true for those of you who are depressed in this room, for the people who are angry in this room. It's true for all of us. Listening to the voice of God in your life is hard. But each time you try to do it, I promise that what you will find is love. And the experience of that love is the thing that leads us to the point where we can honestly say, let him do what is good. Because we've experienced that goodness. And we've learned in that experience to trust him. So if we want to be good listeners, we have to walk this road towards openness. And we do that a step at a time. Now, some of you hear that this morning and you worry that if you open yourself up to that level of conviction, there's this scary possibility that you won't hear anything, much less experience the kind of reassurance and the kind of love that I'm talking about. You're skeptical about whether that's real. And I think that actually leads us to the second skill this morning, which, if you remember, is listening expectantly. Expectantly. And there's a story. Story time, right? There's a story for this, too. And it comes from a book that in the Old Testament that I don't think we read nearly often enough, which is called Habakkuk. Any Habakkuk stands out there? All right. There's two of you. <laughs> cool, cool. All right. Anyways, Habakkuk was a prophet in the southern kingdom of Israel in the 7th century. And he's a prophet during yet another time when the small nation of Israel is under the threat from foreign powers. Specifically in this case, he has witnessed the rise of the Chaldean Empire at the expense of many of Israel's smaller neighbors. And the Chaldeans, at least from an Israelite perspective, seem to be an especially wicked people. And Habakkuk's book begins with this complaint that Habakkuk is making to God about why and how he would ever allow such terrible people to prosper and thrive and like rise up as a power in the region. 
And so the book opens and Habakkuk says this, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. And the Bible says that after Habakkuk complains to God, that God actually answers him, and he tells the prophet that even this wickedness that he's witnessing is all part of his good plan. He will do the good thing. And so in verse 5 of chapter 1, he says back to Habakkuk, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. Watch and see. But Habakkuk, and this is where it gets really lovely, is not impressed. He's not taken in. And so he wants to continue his argument with God. But this time, after he complains, God falls silent. And so Habakkuk prays a complaint a second time, and he says this in chapter 2, verse 1. After he complains, he says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts, and I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. I can't tell you how much I love this. This is great. This is great stuff. You're right. You're right. Anybody that's not Habakkuk fan here, you guys got some learning to do, right? Because in this story, Habakkuk is angry, but he is also expectant. After he prays, he climbs to the top of the castle wall and he looks over the plains waiting for God to reply. He goes to like the place with the broadest view to make sure he doesn't miss it whatever it is, whatever God's going to do. And not only is he up there waiting on God, but while he's waiting on God, he's already formulating what he's going to say next to complain about whatever God's about to tell him. Now, I am not saying, be clear, I'm not saying that the best way for you to be a good listener is to complain. Nor am I saying that Habakkuk is practicing good listening here by preloading his next argument, which you guys already said earlier is bad listening, and you're right. But I am saying that this moment is relatable. Because we have all had fights like this where we're just primed for the next round. And I'm also saying that this moment can teach us something about what it means to expect God to answer us. There is nothing here about Habakkuk setting a timetable for God. Nor is there anything here about him like taking up a sandwich or anything like in case it's going to be a while. He just goes to the place with the greatest vantage point of the area around him, and he stands, and he watches, and he waits on God to speak. And God does. He tells Habakkuk that the hubris of the Chaldeans is going to be their downfall, and in the end, those who put their trust in God are going to be vindicated, and God's name will be praised, even in the midst of all this calamity. That really what seems like the end for Habakkuk is in fact the beginning that all will be well, that his plans are good. But what I'd like for you to think about is, what does it mean? What does it mean that God answers Habakkuk, even when Habakkuk is angry? What does that fact teach you about God's character? What does it reveal about how he actually feels about I bring that up because I think one reason we don't listen to God with openness is because we don't want to find out that he knows us 
like we really are, and we don't want to find out he's mad at us. And I think one reason we don't listen to God expectantly is because we're pretty sure we're right. But when we let that fear keep us from listening, not only do we reveal the limits of where we're at in terms of our trust in God, right? We also are shutting down the chance to see that trust grow. It's a bit like refusing to open a letter from a friend with whom we've argued, right? We, we might think we're sparing ourselves from hearing them berate us or complain at us more, but we're also short-circuiting the chance that it's an apology or a reminder that even when we fight, we love each other. Which means what we're really doing is stalling. Not opening the letter is a stall tactic. It's not realistic. A silly story. Last year, my son, Graham, who you might know, went to first grade after spending kindergarten doing school online during COVID. And at the end of his first in-person day, he sat all of us around the dinner table to tell us how things went. And he was so happy, and he was so excited. And so, like, imagine, bubbly, excited, and he just says, Well, I walked in my classroom, and the first thing I noticed was that my teacher was really young. And I got to say, I was not respecting that. <laughs> and we were all, like, stunned. But before we could say anything to him, he just keeps going. And he's like, she also had blonde hair, and I was not respecting that either. <laughs> And so, like, we die, we die laughing. And then Mary's face lights up, lights up, right? She's like, do you mean expecting? Right? He's getting these words backwards. <laughs> I think we run the risk of doing the same thing, right? When we listen to God, what are we respecting? Do we see him as somebody who really does care about us? Who really does hear us? Who really is speaking to us? I think if we were to respect those things about him, then we would feel better about expecting to hear him without feeling afraid. He can handle our anger. He can handle our doubts. He's not far off somewhere with bigger and more important things on his mind. He answers Habakkuk even when he's in the midst of doing things that are so big, right, that he says nobody would believe them even if they heard about them. But even in the midst of doing these big, amazing things, he's not too busy to share what he's doing to someone who's mad at him. So we know then that all listening benefits from openness, right? But listening to God flourishes when we slowly kind of unclasp our fingers from around our hearts and we trust his goodness. And we also know that all listening benefits from expectation, but listening to God flourishes when we respect that God is as committed to each one of us as he is to the ins and the outs of the bigger stories of existence. But before we wrap up, right, we need to answer this question, which is what exactly are we going to hear? Maybe I've convinced you to listen. What are you going to hear? What does God's voice actually sound like? Now, I'm closing with this question this morning because my dear friend Travis posed it to me just this past week. Like, what are people talking about? That probably is the words that he used. Like, what is anyone talking about when they talk about hearing God? Is it something audible? Is it like a feeling in our gut? Is it a dream that you have at night? Is it a vision? And the truth, of course, is like, yeah, it's all those things. 
In the Bible, God speaks in all those ways, sometimes in an audible voice, in visions, in dreams. He speaks in scripture all the time. He speaks in convictions in our hearts. He, he speaks in the Bible through the casting of lots. He speaks in the living person of Jesus. But just because he has spoken in all of those ways doesn't mean that he will speak in those ways to you. So here you are, ready to be open, ready to be expectant, but expectant for what? I'll say two things before we close. First is this. He's always talking. He's always talking. The prophet Isaiah says, and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. In the letter to the Hebrews, the author writes, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So God is always speaking. You're tuning into a frequency. You're not sitting and waiting in silence. Sometimes that frequency that you pick up is a sense in our spirit. It's vague. It's hard to discern in that way. That's what it is. Sometimes, though rarely and not for everyone, it's something clearer than that sense in your spirit. I feel super fortunate to remember that like. I personally have heard God's way in that other, God's voice in that other way, like one time in my life. And it's a story many have heard before about the moment or the decision that Meredith had made to adopt our daughter, Cecilia. And in that moment, God spoke scripture to me in a sense that was just below an audible voice. I don't know that I heard a thing, but I felt I heard it in some other kind of way and it was clear. But here's the thing, that was once that was 12 years ago. It was at a rest stop in South Carolina. So I'm not suggesting you can replicate it, but I could replicate it. <laughs> now, more recently, let me tell you the other side of this. More recently, I had a moment of deep desperation when I was hurt and I was scared and I wanted very much to leave this work. And I begged God for that same voice and it did not come. Instead, instead, God let me feel nearness. He let me feel companionship. He let me just be upset for a while. There was no voice, but he was still speaking. And he was still speaking because he's always The second point, if the first point is that he's always speaking, the second point is this, that it really does matter how you're listening. Are you willing to try to be more open? Do you respect him enough to expect him? Can you nurture the imagination necessary to believe that the God of the universe, of the universe wants to be heard and he wants to be heard by you of all people? Because that's an enormous thing. And I know what you would like for me to do is to say like, well, on Tuesdays at 8 p.m. is when he's loudest. So if I just pray then, like I'm gonna hear this thing, it's not quite an audible voice, but it's gonna come in the form of like letters and numbers that appear in my vision. Like, I can't tell you any of that. I can't tell you any of that. But I will, what I'm telling you is this, that the biggest reason that we don't hear him is because we're not listening. And the first step, whatever his voice means to you, the first step is going to come when you are opening yourself up and looking for him expectantly. And I'm 
telling you that that will yield something. It will yield his voice. It's an amazing thing to believe that, but I think we can believe that and we can experience it. We can be still, we can listen, and we can hear.